Hey, what's up, people? Welcome to the Hot Shot Wake Up. This is your Friday show weekly wildfire update. As always, you can catch our Wednesday show on our Substack, and that's just for our Substack subscribers. If you want to support what I do here, you can go to thehotshotwakeup.substack.com, click on that subscribe button. For paid subscribers, just $6, but you can subscribe for free as well. And if you could go ahead and like the podcast where you're listening, that does help support us in everything that we do. On today's show, we are going to cover what's been going on with the burn boss situation out in Oregon, the Blue Mountain Eagle, which is a new site out in Oregon, has put out a pretty extensive update on what's going on locally with that whole situation. And a lot of new revelations, I guess, have come out of their reporting along the lines of what the potential legal ramifications of it all is. They said that the sheriff was threatened with arrest the day that he himself arrested the burn boss. And it goes even further to say that the individuals and the resources who were conducting the prescribed burn asked for federal law enforcement to be on scene the day the burn happened because in the previous days they said that there was some tense situations and conversations had with locals and so they put in a request for a federal law enforcement officer to be there the day that this incident all went down. A lot of information came out in this report. Ultimately, they said, hey, no, uh, we can't provide you law enforcement because the individual who would be on right now is out with an injury and we don't have anybody else to replace them. And then on top of that, we will talk about what's going on out east briefly. There's not a tremendous amount going on in the wildfire world, but Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, Ohio even, is seeing some wildfires in their area. These aren't monster rippers, but for the locals there, for an East Coast or Central United States fire, there is some activity going on. Argentina has seen some tremendous fires happening outside of some larger metropolitan areas. And Hawaii is seeing fires the last few days. I believe the largest was on Maui. And then there is some prescribed burnings happening as well. The one on Maui is pushing a thousand acres, I believe, at this point in time. So like I've talked about, extensively, both on the Substack and on the podcast, there's this comment of wildfire years, wildfire years. And yeah, I've, I've said that. There are wildfire years, but regions have different fire seasons. And when Montana or Nevada or New Mexico burns like crazy, the East Coast is having a mild time but then the seasons switch and the East Coast and Central United States sees an increased fire activity while other regions see decreased activity. That's not to say that some regions are seeing more activity than usual, but like a lot of things are on Earth, there is this wildfire cycle that happens, especially when it comes to the Northern and Southern hemispheres as well. But let's get into what the main topic is today, and that's this fairly extensive report coming out of the Blue Mountain Eagle out in Oregon. The article's written by Tony Chioti, and this came out just a day ago. 
and we'll talk about what's in it and what this article says. So the article states, new details in the arrest of a Forest Service burn boss during the prescribed burn in Grant County last month are raising the possibility that the sheriff who arrested him could in turn be subject to prosecution. Now, we had talked about this before. There are some laws out there that say if you obstruct a federal employee while they're in the process of their official duty, that can be an offense that can be against the law, and you can possibly be charged for that. It says that on October 19th, a prescribed burn being executed by the U.S. Forest Service with help from the Oregon Department of Forestry and contract crews escaped the burn area scorching approximately 18 acres of adjacent private land in Bear Valley, which is about seven miles north of Seneca. While the slopover fire was actively being brought under control, Grant County Sheriff Todd McKinley responded to a 911 call from landowners, arrived on the scene, and arrested Rick Snodgrass, the federal employee in charge of this operation. He was charged with a misdemeanor of reckless burning. But a document obtained by the Blue Mountain Eagle shows that in the course of arresting Snodgrass, McKinley, the sheriff, was himself threatened with arrest for governmental obstruction, a potential felony charge under federal law. And this will get into the more of the background of what we were saying in our previous podcast. As people were gathered together, they started having a conversation, then it escalated, and then a lot of things started going down at that point in time. It continues, in a sworn probable cause affidavit filed in court, McKinley gives a detailed account of events surrounding Snodgrass's arrest for reckless burning. The sheriff describes a tenuous and awkward situation where the conversation started to go bad once McKinley confronted Snodgrass. Fire personnel, this is a quote now, fire personnel were trying to tell me I was going to be arrested for governmental obstruction. Sheriff McKinley states in the affidavit. So the sheriff is saying he showed up, it's the landowners who called, and then after some time passed and these conversations elevated to a more heated level, these fire personnel who were on the ground started telling the sheriff, you are going to get arrested and you are causing governmental obstruction. And that's according to the sheriff in a sworn affidavit. Continuing, the affidavit concludes that McKinley's assessment that as he drove off with Snodgrass in custody, the fire was still not contained. That's kind of interesting. So there's still an evolving situation. There's still fire on the ground. And it's sounding like this 18-acre slopover was not totally corralled by the time the sheriff drove away with this burn boss. The affidavit says that while McKinley was on the scene, landowners were requesting air support. And if you're in the fire world, that may actually sound a little odd because landowners, they can't call air support. So my guess is that the landowners were going to fire personnel and saying, hey, get us aircraft. We want aircraft. Which, that's just not a request that's going to be welcomed very openly by most fire personnel is having someone just come up and tell you what to do with your resources. But that's I've seen that in Montana, where I'd be on a ranch, and they'd be like, why don't you have a helicopter? You guys should get a helicopter up here. 
So that sort of thing happens when you are in contact with landowners. It says, while air support had been authorized and planned for, for the burn, the fire crews never called for it. The fire was ultimately brought under control using hand crews and a bulldozer within one hour of it being reported. The incident attracted national attention, sparking discussions around prescription burning in general and bringing heavy criticism of the Grant County Sheriff's unprecedented actions. Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot of pushback on all sides after this happened. Prior to these events, a federal firefighter had never been arrested in the course of performing their duties. In the days following the incident, U.S. Forest Service Chief Randy Moore issued a statement defending Snodgrass and calling the arrest highly inappropriate under these circumstances, end quote. He went on to say that they will not stand idly by and will defend all Forest Service employees carrying out their duties. Yeah, of course, doesn't matter who your employer is, you would hope that they would say something like that. The National Federation of Federal Employees, also known as the NFFE, a union representing 110,000 federal workers, including Forest Service personnel, went further in a statement issued on November 3rd. They put out the statement and it said, quote, It is not normal for a local sheriff to arrest a working fire commander during an incident, wrote the NFFE President Randy Irwin. Yeah, totally agree. That is not a normal thing that happens. They continued saying, in doing so, the sheriff may have violated federal law that makes it a felony to interfere with a federal employee during their official duties, and the sheriff may have opened the county to a massive liability for a civil rights violation for unlawfully detaining and removing the burn boss. 100%, we've been saying this from the beginning, the lawsuits that are going to come out of this are going to be absolutely insane. Sheriff McKinley confirmed that Snodgrass, the burn boss, was one of the firefighting personnel he described as threatening him with arrest on the scene. Now, this article gets into it later on, but a burn boss threatening a sheriff with arrest. So, think about that. You can imagine that it must have elevated to some point of conversation or heated debate to where threats are being thrown around. It's, it was obviously a very tense situation, is what this report is telling us. The article continues saying, Firefighters themselves do not have the authority to make arrests, according to Lisa Ludwig, a criminal defense attorney who handles both state and federal cases. Ludwig said that threatening arrest without having that authority may be talking out of your ear in the moment, but she went on to explain how it could lead to federal charges down the line. Quote, a firefighter could act as an investigator or an agent of the government to write up a report and recommend a prosecution to a U.S. attorney who could then choose later to pursue charges based on that investigation, Ludwig said. Okay, so this report and investigation is saying the burn boss was threatening arrest to the sheriff himself. And now we have a state and federal attorney saying, well, that that's all just smoke. And how did they say it? They said it's uh, talking out of your ear. But what is true is, yes, you could write up a report or a recommendation 
present that to a U.S. attorney and say, hey, this is the situation. I think that charges should be pressed. I'm curious if that has happened. If anybody who was on the ground out in Oregon has written a request or some sort of proposal to the U.S. Attorney's Office, Ludwig, the lawyer, points out that some federal employees, such as park rangers, are given quasi-law enforcement authority and can issue citations. But she also said it was more likely that they were given their opinion that the sheriff could be arrested for what he was doing, not that they were claiming to have the power to arrest him. And I would assume that as well. You would have to be pretty bold to claim to have authority to arrest a sheriff as, as just a firefighter. So I would agree with that statement that they were probably saying, hey man, you can't just come out here and arrest federal employees who are doing burns. There's a law against that. It continues saying one Forest Service official said he understands it was less of a threat of arrest and more of a matter of firefighters, quote, informing the sheriff of the consequences of his actions. Yep, that's totally true. But again, this would have to go to a court and they would have to make that decision there. Sheriff McKinley said that to his knowledge, the matter is not being pursued, quote, though I'm not going to say that it didn't happen, referring to the threat of his arrest. So he's not going to confirm or deny, it sounds like. A Forest Service law enforcement and investigations officer had been requested for the October 19th burn. Now, this is where we get into some interesting stuff. As the article will explain, the request was put in for a federal law enforcement officer to be on the ground for the day this burn happened, which is pretty monumental in this whole case or this whole situation. They knew there was a possible threat on the ground or that there was at least enough tension in the area to where they should probably put this request in. And I've put in requests for LEOs before, and well, I know lots of fires do. Not oftentimes is it that request made for a prescribed burn. I've seen maybe like a sheriff's deputy used as a road guard during a prescribed burn if we had to shut a road down. And we also knew, hey, we this guy or gal is on scene in case we need them. But nine times out of 10, you're not calling a law enforcement officer to hang out during your prescribed burn. It's just, at least in my experience that, I, that I've had in the wildfire world. So I would consider this a pretty substantial request by the folks who are on this district and actually a lot of foresight knowing the area and the local politics that went down. Also, they said that there had been some tense interactions in the previous days while they were out there. So that's actually a pretty big development that these folks said, hey, we want a law enforcement officer on scene tomorrow when we burn. The article says, hey, this is not a standard arrangement according to the current and retired Forest Service officials. Yeah, according to me as well, it's not normal. The request was made directly in response to verbal harassment and perceived threats the crews had reported on the previous day of burn operations on October 13th. 
The law enforcement officer that they requested was not able to be on scene due to an injury, but the burn went ahead. I'm curious why they couldn't find another law enforcement officer for that. I do know that there is a massive shortage of law enforcement officers for the Forest Service and other federal agencies. We put an article out on it the other day where they're offering $20,000 hiring bonuses for law enforcement officers in the federal realm because of how depleted their ranks are. There's actually a bill that went through Congress that mandated that they hire as many law enforcement officers for the Forest Service and other agencies as possible. So it's known that there is a shortage. So it's not a massive surprise they couldn't find another one, but it is kind of shocking that, I guess it was reported on October 13th, the burn was on the 19th. So they had six days, I guess, to try to find someone. You could throw a weekend in there. And yeah, you might have difficulty trying to get someone on scene. It continues saying, because that officer was not on scene, there was no law enforcement authority on the federal side when the sheriff arrived. Man, what a wild show it would be if there was a federal LEO there and then the sheriff shows up and now everybody's demanding they arrest each other. Oh my goodness. It continues saying, the lawyer, Ludwig, describes a scenario in which federal and law enforcement authorities could have concurrent jurisdiction, meaning both could arrest individuals if they had probable cause to believe a crime had been committed. Yeah, that that would have been something else. She sees nothing that could have prevented a sheriff from arresting a federal employee, which is exactly what happened. But given that the confrontation between McKinley and Snodgrass, the burn boss, happened while both were in the process of carrying out their lawful duties, it could have gone the other way, with the sheriff being placed under arrest. And like I said, there's so many angles to this, and it's eventually going to play out in the courts. Ludwig says, if somebody interferes or obstructs a federal officer, in general, that could lead to a federal charge. So it seems like this federal charge against the sheriff is at least on the table. It's an option that, at least to this point, there have been no official charges filed. Ludwig went on to describe the possibility of a unfunny comedy where a local and federal authority were trying to arrest each other. Even if the original arrest was unlawful, if the other authority tried to intervene in that, there could still be charged with resisting arrest, Ludwig explains. And I don't think it's an unfunny comedy. That's kind of just a comedy of the back and forth of two individuals trying to arrest each other at the exact same time. McKinley's affidavit, the sheriff's affidavit, claims that at one point, the burn boss initially tried to pull his arm away from me. Once in custody, he calmed down some, and I moved the handcuffs to the front so he could sit more comfortably in the patrol vehicle. I got to be honest with you, if I was a burn boss and a sheriff walked up to me and grabbed my arm, I'd probably shrug away. I'd probably pull my arm away as well. Not saying you should do that when law enforcement approach you. I'm just saying I think that would be a natural reaction for me as well. This is where 
the investigation from the Blue Mountain Eagle starts talking about if folks are immune from prosecution or not. And it kind of goes back and forth on who's responsible and who's going to take the blame if the courts decide it's one side or the other. The Grants County District Attorney, Jim Carpenter, in a press conference issued immediately following Snodgrass's arrest, asserted that the employer and or position of the burn boss will not protect him if it's determined he acted recklessly. That the U.S. Forest Service was engaging in a prescribed burn may actually raise rather than lower the standard to which the burn boss will be held. Now, I'm going to read that again because it's the opposite of what I think it would be. And I don't know how you're going to prove that he was acting recklessly. You know, if he took a very pistol and turned and shot it across the road into private land and then cackle laughed and said, good luck catching that, that would be considered reckless. But I highly, highly doubt that that's the case. So again, the attorney general from Grant County is saying that the employer and or position of Snodgrass will not protect him if it is determined that he acted recklessly. The United States Forest Service was engaging in a prescribed burn may actually raise rather than lower the standard to which Snodgrass will be held. Again, I just don't understand how that is actually the case. Like, if it, if, is he saying that if it was a wildfire compared to a prescribed fire, it might be less of a charge? I don't know. That just seems maybe a little bit backwards to me. But, again, that's the district attorney. So he's the one who's going to be trying this case. So it'll be very interesting how that plays out. The other attorney, Ludwig, said that this idea is based on the concept of standard of care. Quote, generally, it can vary depending on the circumstances and the individuals involved, she said. The standard of care for a phlebotanist is different from the standard of care for a doctor, even though they might both be in the setting of an IV line. But it's different because their training and their roles in the incident is different. Okay, so now I think we're just splitting hairs, maybe. How this plays out is that there is an expectation that a government worker acts within the mandate and expectations of their job. So basically what this Ludwig gal is saying is you would have to prove that the burn boss was acting outside of the mandated and expectations of their job description. I don't know how you would do that unless it was just very, very blatant that that was the case. I think that would be something that would be very difficult to prove. They say that it might be hard for these charges to go through if it's shown that the fire was within prescription of the burn plan, which had been years in the making. And that was my whole point of our previous podcast on this, 
was, hey, if this burn was in prescription, meaning it fell within the guidelines of what was allowed for that to happen, then you shouldn't have any worries in the world that something's going to come down on you and you're going to be prosecuted because those are legal documents. And if you signed it and you were within prescription, you should be good to go. If it's out of prescription, and that again might be hard to prove if it actually was that case, that's when, of course, you're going to run into some problems. It's why we have these checks and balances. Continuing, it says the Forest Service has maintained that the conditions on the day were within those set out in the burn plan. Although the investigation into the Star 6 prescribed fire continues and workers are under instructions to not comment on the matter further. The Sheriff McKinley is also refusing to comment on the record, although he did express thoughts the day after the arrest to Wildfire Today in a recorded interview that was shared with the Eagle. In that interview, McKinley stated that, quote, everybody knew it was a bad burn. It should not be happening. It was not the right time to burn. And there may have been means taken to get the burn done that were outside of the scope. Now, this was the initial quote, I believe the day after, by the sheriff. And since then, the sheriff won't comment on his previous comments, which isn't too shocking if there's an open investigation. If there's an open investigation into something, both parties really can't talk about it. And that's what your lawyers will tell you. They'll advise you basically to shut up and not say anything, which is some of the best legal advice you can ever get, is if you get in trouble, just shut up and don't say anything and uh, let the lawyers do the work. It says federal officers and the Grants County Sheriff's Office are continuing to investigate the incident, and the two sides are sharing information back and forth. So there is a back and forth happening. The legal doctrine of qualified immunity would likely shield both the burn boss and the sheriff against personal liability from lawsuits arriving from their actions as they were acting in their role as government agents, which is that immunity. If you're acting in your official role, you basically have immunity and the agency you work for is the one who would basically have to stand trial. You obviously might be called in as a witness, but it says only in very narrow circumstances can this protection be lifted. But that doctrine offers no such protection from criminal prosecution and their respective employers remain open to civil liability. The landowners, however, have the ability to file a tort claim with the federal government for damages arising from this fire. So a great investigative reporting done by the Blue Mountain Eagle. A lot of new information has come out. Basically, the burn boss was taken off scene before the slopover was totally contained. Released the next morning, charged with the misdemeanor. It sounds like fire personnel were telling the sheriff on scene, hey, you might be, you know, conducting a felony right now by doing this. And they weren't off base by that. It sounds like both agencies, meaning the sheriff's department and the federal authorities, are sharing information back and forth on this whole thing. The landowners can still sue if they want to, but both the sheriff and 
the burn boss, basically have immunity from prosecution unless it's proven that either of their acts, whether it's the burn itself getting loose or the arrest of a federal employee by the sheriff, they basically have immunity to that unless they operated outside of their mandated scope. That is hard to prove. So where does this all go? I don't know. It's probably going to get settled behind closed doors would be my guess. I would also assume that there's really nothing going to happen legally to the burn boss and nothing is going to happen legally to the sheriff. Because I think it is hard to prove that either of them acted out of scope. That's not to say that it could happen or that people will prosecute against that. But it should be very interesting to see where the conclusion is. Let me know what you think about what your thoughts are on these new revelations. Where is it going to go? Is it all just going to be water under the bridge and we're not going to hear much of it? Or is the federal government and or Grant County going to try to make an example out of each other and just prosecute the hell out of this? I don't know the answer to that. I would be shocked to see any sort of prescribed fires happening in this area for a while because at that point you're just asking for more headaches. I do find it very interesting that there was this forethought by the authorities who were conducting the burn on October 13th, I believe it was, saying, hey, for our next burn on the 19th of October, we want a federal law enforcement officer there. That's huge that they requested that. As we know now, that didn't happen because the law enforcement officer on the federal side that was available reported in with an injury and couldn't make it. And it seems there wasn't enough time to find another one. But when it comes to if this does get prosecuted, that's a huge piece in it all saying, hey, we premeditatively ordered federal law enforcement because we felt threatened and we weren't able to have that and look at what it turned into. I think that's a huge piece of the puzzle that we didn't have before and that plays on the side of the burn boss very well. It's forethought. And what would have happened if the federal law enforcement officer was there? I don't know. It may have ended up that there was no arrest that took place. Maybe the federal law enforcement officer could have calmed down the landowners some before the sheriff got there. We just don't know. But I think it's very important to note that they asked for one before they started this burn again. But we'll keep you updated. We'll see if it hits the courts or if they come up with some sort of decision behind closed doors to maybe just wash away the misdemeanor charge from the burn boss and kind of patch it up. But with the history of that area, I, I, I just don't know what it's going to turn into. I'll take this time to thank our paid Substack subscribers and our free Substack subscribers as well. We've kind of ballooned in free subscribers over the last few weeks. 6,000 plus people get our articles and podcasts directly into their inboxes. And the paid subscriptions, which is just $6, supports everything we do and helps us maintain a 100% ad-free show and publication. 
If you are a paid subscriber, you get access to 100% of our article archives, our podcast archives. You get new recipes on a weekly basis. Every Monday, personalized workouts go out. You have access to all of the current articles. The Wednesday show is a paid podcast only, and that's every Wednesday. Last week was our biggest one, more listeners than ever, and this was regarding the Forest Service employee out in California that decided it was a great idea to show up in Boots and Greens to a sex sting operation run by the cops. And a lot of folks reached out to me about that. It's starting to sound like this guy was kind of a, everybody knew he was a scumbag. That's what I'm being told. And it sounds like there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes and a lot of internal conflict when it came to this individual, their district and their forest, complaints filed, so on and so forth. But a lot of people tuned into that one. And that was our Wednesday show on the Substack, just for paid subscribers. Again, everything we do is supported by that. If you like the show and want to support what we're doing, if you like the social media, all the fire updates, the articles that we put out, just go to the hotshotwakeup.substack.com. Click on that subscribe button, just $6. And we have been able to give out thousands and thousands of dollars to firefighter GoFundMes, firefighters' families in need, just this year alone with those subscription dollars. So thank you to everybody out there. If you can't afford that $6, just subscribe to the Substack for free. Click the like button on the podcast. And that goes a long way as well. I have traveled this year over all the United States, through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains, the Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras. Looking around the nation and the planet itself when it comes to wildfire, the west coast of the United States has slowed down substantially, but if you move further east, they have been seeing some action. Not a tremendous amount to where CNN or Fox News is going to put it on their front page or the lead story in their nightly news report, but they're still happening. Ohio was seeing some fires on the Wayne National Forest, Georgia saw multiple starts over the last couple days. Nothing that was huge, 90 acres, 100 acres, 50 acres. Most, if not all, I believe, were human-caused starts. One was reported as a tent fire up in the woods, and they got called to that. It was on a forest trail. The thing took off. Had some pretty good activity, but... Overnight temperatures slowed the thing down, and they were able to get line around that. Kentucky is seeing a bunch of new starts. West Virginia saw some new starts. Tennessee is even seeing some fires as well. So that localized central United States East Coast area is starting to see increased activity. Because of that, a bunch of crews are being called in from the West Coast. A lot of California crews, Region 5 crews are making their way over making the long drive across the United States to set up shop and respond to any IAs or initial attack fires 
that they end up being called to. I know that they are also planning on utilizing those crews for prescribed burns. So I guess it just depends what's going to happen in the next couple days on which side of the coin they will be operating. It does seem like there's a hurricane coming up the East Coast in the next couple days, I believe middle of Friday into Saturday. So a lot of moisture should come in with that and help quell a lot of this fire activity that we're seeing. Hawaii, which we had a conversation about on our Substack when we talked about the predictive services maps that came out and where in the country would be active. So far this month, they've been highly accurate on the locations for increased potential for wildfire behavior. The island of Maui is seeing some fire. They had uh, 850 plus, maybe 1,000 acres by now fire on their island, and they have a bunch of people heading down there to try to suppress that. I think it caught a few people off guard. And other folks have written in saying that there are some prescribed burns happening down there as well. A lot of the cane fields that are down there are getting burned off after harvest. So there is some activity regarding that as well. If you move to the southern hemisphere, we talked about La Nina being down there and causing increased moisture in some of these areas, but there hasn't been a significant amount of activity in the southern hemisphere yet. Australia has had a few, but it's relatively slow from what I'm hearing from people over there. But Argentina is seeing some fires. There was a significantly large fire Outside of a large metropolitan area down there, the footage coming out of that is is pretty substantial of folks on their balconies looking out into the forest or jungle that's just outside the city limits, and it's an absolute wall of fire pushing across the landscape. I'll post some of that here in the next couple days, but other than that, it's prescribed burn season. Everywhere from the Coronado down in Arizona all the way up to the Helena district or the Missoula district burning piles up there. Oregon, Washington, and even parts of California are starting their burns. It does seem like Cal Fire is starting to use a lot of the money in the coffers that was allocated to start doing some project works and burns in some of their districts, which is good to see because as we spoke about last spring, Nearly $2 billion in California had been allocated to project work in Burns, and they hadn't completed one project yet with all that money. That being said, I've seen a lot of activity on that side of these departments putting in work the last couple weeks trying to get all of this stuff done. But other than that, it's been pretty slow. Tune into our next Wednesday show where we'll give you updates on what is going on with this individual out in California that got busted for this sex sting where he showed up in a Type 3 fire engine. It's just the stupidest thing you could ever do. I've been told that he was handed his walking papers but then resigned basically at the same time. He's no longer with the Forest Service. But a lot of individuals who have worked with and or for him have reached out providing a lot of details about the work history of this individual, dating all the way back to the Calder fire, where there's some allegations that an investigation started 
while he was on the Calder fire, but it kind of got swept under the rug, and then he got detailed to a new position, so he wasn't with the same people he was working with before. Just some weird movement stuff going on. Again, I haven't 100% vetted that, but it's more than four people telling me the same story. There's like seven people telling me the same story about this guy. So it seems like it kind of rings true. But check that out. It's for paid Substack subscribers only, our Wednesday show, thehotshotwakeup.substack.com. And on that note, hey, we're approaching Thanksgiving. Reach out to some people you haven't talked to in a while, see how they're doing. Get a workout in because that's just free dopamine. I don't know why people don't do that more often. It's just free dopamine if you go get a run or a lift in. But you got to hydrate and stretch to keep that body feeling good. Get those quality calories in you. Get the rest you need to recover. But when you get up, you got to get it done.